This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now. So last week, um, we began a new series, Christmas series. It's three weeks. We're calling it Faces Around the Manger. So what we're doing this, week, this uh, year at Christmas is we're taking three Sundays and we're going to do some character studies and focus on this year the, the people who were kind of right there gathered around uh, Christ in the manger. And today we're going to look at Joseph's story from Matthew chapter 1. So I'll invite you to turn there. First chapter of the New Testament, Matthew 1. And we're going to look at verses 18 through 25 and talk about Joseph, who is really kind of an unsung hero of Christmas. Matthew chapter 1, and let's look at verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, and beginning with verse 18. And follow along in your copy of God's Word. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you were to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we prepare to dig into your word now, that by the power of your spirit, that you would enable us to, to focus on you. We, we pray that if there's anything that would be distracting us or hindering uh, us from hearing from you right now, that that, that would just be eliminated. Give us, give us clear minds, make us open and, 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 and ready vessels for your spirit to, to, to speak to us. We pray that you would do a life-changing work in us through your word and then through us that, that the life change would be used as, to, to equip us to go forth and to share this message with others and to minister to others. So Lord, we pray that this, these minutes together would be a time of strengthening. We pray that if anyone is here who doesn't know Christ, that, that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would ignite faith, that you would open hearts to see the beauty and the love of Christ and to trust in him. Uh, we, we pray that for, for those of us who are here as believers, that if there are areas of our lives that, that we, we need to surrender to you, 
um, areas where we're, we're seeking to, 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 to maintain control, that we would yield that to you today as our king. And so, Lord, speak to us right now through your word we pray and the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in recent months, um, in, in going through my, my mom's house, the house that I, I grew up in, we were preparing to, to sell that. You know, we were going through all kinds of different things in the house. And, and, and one of those things is obviously pictures and things, particularly the photos that were up on the, the, the wall. And uh, my mom had a big photo of, uh, of my, my wedding day, Melissa and I's wedding day, up on, up on the wall. And I was, I was looking at that, that, that picture. And as I was looking at it, I, I thought of a couple of things. Uh, one was that we really could have used Paula Hassan from our church that day. Because having recently gotten our family pictures done uh, with Paula, there, there's no way she would have, would have tolerated the lame smile um, that I had in, in that photo. It was, it was not a great smile. Um, and Paula would not have put up with that. Um, and the other thing that I thought of when I looked at that picture is just how clueless I was that day about marriage because, you know, we had read books and, you know, watched the videos and got premarital counseling and all of that, but, you know, you're not really fully prepared until you actually get into marriage. And I'm sure as Joseph prepared for his wedding day, that he had all kinds of hopes and dreams about what his life with Mary would be like. And little does he know, he can't even imagine, that he is about to be blindsided with news that would have made most guys cut and run. But Joseph did not do that. And in not doing that, he becomes an unsung hero of the Christmas story. Let's take a look at his story today and what we can learn from it. What do we see here in this this text? First of all, we see Joseph's bad news. Joseph's bad news. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now remember, Joseph is operating without the information that we have. Uh, we look back and we know about the angel Gabriel's visits to, uh, to, to, to Mary and to him, and we know all about the virgin birth, but all that Joseph knows at this point in time is that his fiance is pregnant and they have never had sexual relations, and he is devastated. And now he has to make a decision. A lesser guy, which would have been most guys, would have, would have made the decision to publicly shame Mary. And had he taken that route, the worst that could have happened to her was stoning, and the best that could have happened to her would have been a life of public shunning. The other option available to Joseph, which was the one he took, 
was to divorce her quietly. Now, that, that word divorce seems weird because they're just engaged. But you need to understand that in, in first century Jewish culture, uh, in, engagements, betrothals were, were legally binding. And so that's what's going on here. There had to be a legal process to get out of that. What Joseph can't know at this point is that God is doing this in such a way, in, in Jesus being born of a virgin, he's doing this in such a way that, that, that Joseph's redemption and ours is secured because Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg says this, as fully God, Jesus was able to pay the eternal penalty for our sins for which humanity could not atone. As fully human, he could be our adequate representative and substitutionary sacrifice. So to Joseph, this news when it first comes is bad news. What he can't see at this point is that this is good news. This is the ultimately good news. And that's what we see next. God's good news. God's good news. Verses 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So in, in Luke, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and in Matthew, the angel appears to Joseph. But in, in both instances, the first thing that the angel tells them is the same. Fear not, don't be afraid. Because he knows that this situation is downright scary for both of these young people. And, and God is assuring them, listen, I've got this. I'm doing good things that you know far beyond what you can even imagine at this point. And I'm gonna use you, I'm gonna work through you. I've got this. And he says that to us in crisis as, as well. Look at how the angel addresses Joseph in verse 20. He says, Joseph, son of David. Now look back to the, the beginning of chapter 1 of Matthew. The very first verse of Matthew. What does it say? The book of of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Same words that the angel says to Joseph. Joseph is a son of David. Jesus is a son of David. Remember last week we talked about the Davidic covenant from 2 Samuel 7, where God promised King David that one of his descendants would reign forever that he would be a forever king on a forever throne. Matthew wants us to understand right from the beginning that Jesus is the world's rightful king, that Jesus is the Davidic Messiah and he is Lord of the world. We sung it earlier, enjoy to the world. He rules the world. 
with truth and grace. Matthew wants us to understand that from the very beginning, that Christ is the world's rightful king, king, and savior. What does he say in verse 21? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. Jesus is Yeshua. Yahweh is salvation. The Lord saves. Saves from what? He will save his people from their sins. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says of this verse, in the biblical perspective, sin is the basic, if not always immediate, cause of all other calamities. This verse orients the reader to the fundamental purpose of Jesus' coming, to save his people from their sins. And that's because sin causes estrangement between us and God. There is a chasm between us and God that has to be bridged. And that bridge looks like a cross. Verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew here is quoting from Isaiah 7:14, which we looked at this past fall. Do you see how all of these different strands are coming together? The Davidic covenant, Isaiah's prophecy, Everything is coming together. That's what, it's what our God does, right? It's what he does in our lives as well. We, we sung it last week in that, that beautiful song, Canvas and Clay. You make all things work together for my future and for my good. You make all things work together for your glory and for your name. <laughs> That's what God is doing in our lives as believers. He's working for his glory and our good. God's good news. Third, we see something here about Joseph's trusting obedience. Joseph's trusting obedience. Verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Wow, verse 24 is so inspiring as a disciple, right? The Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He did. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. God commands. Joseph obeys. Simple, right? This is, this is the Christian life, right? Trusting obedience. Faith, true faith, involves obedience. God commands. God, and we carry out his commands. This is so, so fundamental, but so inspiring. In 1974, a young uh, Japanese guy named Norio Suzuki was kneeling by a campfire on the island of Lubang in the Philippines. When he looked up and advancing rapidly toward him was a, another Japanese man. 
in a World War II era Japanese army uniform. And in terror, this young guy, Norio Suzuki, just threw up, his, threw up his hands and he called out, I'm Japanese, I'm Japanese. And they began to talk. And what had happened is that 29 years earlier, in 1945, this Japanese soldier, his name was Hiro Oneida, was told by his commanding officer to remain on that island and not to surrender, that Japanese forces would come back for him. And he was to remain there and not to surrender until Japanese forces returned. 29 years later, in 1974, he was still there, not surrendered, still thinking that he was under orders. And he said, he said that he would not surrender. The, the young guy tried to explain, World War II has been over for almost three decades. He would have none of it. He said he would not surrender until he received a formal order from his commanding officer to do so, a man named Major uh, Taniguchi. About three weeks later, <laughs> Major Taniguchi came to the island of Lubang and read a formal order to the soldier that the war was over and that he was to surrender. And he surrendered. <laughs> that was the order, right? In other words, my life is not my own. I obey orders. That's what I do. I obey the orders of my commanding officer. Like, life is that simple. Now, in the case of these Japanese soldiers, you know, they were obeying orders from a really bad regime that, you know, was basically using their soldiers as, you know, fodder to carry out their imperialistic ambitions. But we have a king of love, and his orders are for his glory, and they are for our good. And, 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 it, and, and to be under his lordship means that we understand that Christ is our king, right? That life is not about us anymore. It's not about us being on the throne. He's on the throne. He gives commands. He gives orders. We respond in trusting obedience to him. Joseph is a beautiful example here of discipleship. And his obedience is costly. It's costly to him in reputation. Remember, the, the appearance of the angel is to Joseph and Mary. But the angel is not appearing to their families or to their friends or to the townspeople in, in Nazareth. And so for the remainder of their lives, there will be whispering, whispering, gossip in that community about the circumstances of Jesus' birth. And so it's costly in terms of reputation. It's costly in terms of comfort. And it means that instead of settling for kind of a normal, conventional life in Nazareth, that their lives are going to be turned upside down. And that begins almost immediately when King Herod is, is searching 
for Jesus to kill him, and Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus are forced to flee to Egypt as refugees. Look at chapter 2, chapter 2 and verses um, 13 and following. Matthew 2, we'll pick it up at verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And so almost immediately Joseph is put in a situation as a husband and as a dad that he's taking his wife and his son and fleeing as refugees to, to Egypt because of Herod's murderous rampage. And so it is costly to him in terms of reputation. It's costly to him in terms of comfort. By saying yes to God, he is saying no to a normal conventional life. You know, too many believers in our country approach Christianity almost like a cafeteria style. You know, we, we want to go through the line and we want to get a little bit of what we want. We want to go through and we want to get a little bit of spiritual comfort food to make us feel good about ourselves. Just kind of go through the spiritual cafeteria line and get just, just a little bit of Jesus to make life a little bit better and make us feel comfortable and warm inside. Or we want to get a little bit of fire insurance to keep us out of hell. Friends, that's just kind of not the way it works. Jesus tells us how it works. Look at Mark chapter 8 and verses 34 and 35. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, there, there is a cost of discipleship. But I want to tell you, ultimately, there is a far greater cost of non-discipleship. Because discipleship to Jesus may end up costing you your life, but non-discipleship to Jesus will absolutely, definitely cost you your eternity. And it need not be so. Because he invites you to know him. He invites you to trust him. To place your faith in him. But you need to understand that true faith in Christ involves obedience. He calls us to repent. Lay down your sin. Lay down your pride. Lay down your plans. Lay down your hang-ups. Get over yourself and turn to Jesus as king. He is king. We don't make him king. He is king. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. And he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. 
in our lives. Turn to Christ today. He invites you to know him. There's eternal life in him. There's forgiveness of sins. Come to him as you are. He, you don't clean up yourself before you come to him. You don't get your act together and then come. No, you come just as you are. But he won't leave you just as you are. The Holy Spirit will begin to do a work of transformation in your life. And he transforms us from the inside out and he changes our desires. He changes our want-tos so that we, we, we desire to obey him. Yes, we're gonna continue to struggle with sin until the day that he calls us home or the day when Christ returns, whichever comes first. We're never gonna be free from sin in this life. But if you have truly been born again, there is a desire to obey God. Do you know Christ? Have you turned to him and trusted in him as your savior and Lord friend? There is forgiveness of sins. There is new life and there is eternal life in him because Christ is risen. And if you claim to know him, if you claim to follow him, are there areas of your life that need to be yielded and surrendered to Christ as your king? Are there areas of your life where you're trying to get on the throne and Christ needs to be there? Areas of your life where you're trying to be control, in control and you need to let go of the controls and let Jesus take over. There is so much that we can learn from Joseph's story about discipleship to Christ and what it means to know him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the richness of the Christmas story. We pray that as, as disciples that we would be surrendered to you. Lord, if there are areas in our lives, sins that need to be repented of, areas that we're trying to maintain control and we need to let go, then we pray that by the power of the Spirit that you would work in our lives in that way right now that these would be moments of repentance and surrender and yieldedness to you. Father, if there are those here or those who are watching or those who will watch at some point in the future that need to come to know Jesus as Savior and King, then we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would do a work of grace in their life that they would turn to Christ in repentance and in faith and know him and know the forgiveness and know the abundance of life and the eternal life that Jesus brings. Lord, work in hearts that they would respond to you. We pray that as we go forth this week, re remind us that wherever we go, every day when we wake up, that we're on mission, that we're on mission for you in our community, and Lord, make us faithful to give, to empower others, to go where we cannot go, to people that we can never meet. May we be all about the gospel, the spread of the gospel. Love Jesus, our King, it's in his name that we pray.
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.